Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Peter Finn to the show. Peter is the host of the full production podcast and the managing director of Phase Contracting. We discuss the public perceptions of mining, challenges and opportunities in the mining industry, and the future of mining. A few of you have asked me what conferences I'll be attending in 2020. Right now, I have nothing on the books, but I'm hoping to attend a few conferences. The ones I'm shooting for are the SMRP conference, Ultrasound World Conference, and the Main Train Conference. If there are any others you'd like me to check out, or if you'd like me to speak at your event, please let me know by sending me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. If you haven't yet, check out my website, robsreliability.com and sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter as well as follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn for the bonus daily meme. And lastly, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. I appreciate you guys listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey guys, we're back, and I'm here with Peter Finn. Peter, how are you? Good, thanks, Rob. Good to be on the uh, on the podcast, mate. Thanks for the invite. We were just having the conversation before the podcast started, and we're like, "Hang on, how about we just stop and record this?" That's. I feel like that uh, pretty often in my life. I I miss out on some great recording activities, and you know, I, I'm starting to think like I should do what Gary V does and just hire someone to follow me around with a camera. But a lot of it would be boring. <laughs> I always say, obviously, I've got my own podcast called uh, Full Production, which is predominantly a heavy industry, mainly mining industry um, background. And uh, it's funny because, um, you know, a lot of the good conversations actually happen before the podcast start because people, you know, you're trying to loosen them up. And I guess me and you are pretty natural on, on the talking front. But then it's also when the podcast finishes and, and they feel really comfy with you that they'll tell some really cool stories that they necessarily wouldn't air on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we sh- we got to just fake turning off the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'd go down well, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, you know, you mentioned it. You're the host of the po- full production podcast and you're the managing director of Face Contracting. And if anyone wants to check that out, they can go to facecontracting.com.au. Do you want to give us a little background on, let's first the podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Full Production Podcast? Yep. So um, Full Production, come about, so I'll be a mining kid. I'm a mining kid through and through. I know nothing but mining, you know. We want to talk mining. Uh, it's no different than I want to talk sport. I absolutely love it. And we talk a lot of it. And I really enjoy it. And I, I enjoy the characters that come with my industry. And I guess, you know, the mining industry, you talked about face contracting before, you know, it's given me so much. It's, it's who I am from a DNA point of view. It's who I am from a, a foundation childhood point of view. And it's who I am today. So the mining industry is given so much. And unfortunately, the perception of the mining industry sometimes isn't, isn't, isn't the best. So the whole idea of the podcast was to create 
a better perception of the people in the mining industry and a better perception of the industry as a whole. And um, I wanted to do this in a format that was all about giving as well. So originally it was all tied up with full production and face my company, face contracting. And then uh, so probably the last three plus months, we've just instead of monetizing the podcast, we've got a pretty large audience. We decided to um, uh, make it all 100% charity component. So anyone who comes on the full production podcast, just make the donation to one of selected mining charities. And um, ultimately, you know, when you when you make a donation to the charity, it goes to a really good cause to, you know, within the mining industry, like Mates in Mining, Miners Promise, awesome organisation, uh, Mining Legends. We are looking at a few, uh, you know, overseas um, charities now, but we've got predominantly got to get these charities that are mining related because, you know, our industry has a lot of issues too to talk about. And I, I'm, you know, I sure I run a mining company, which I'm very fortunate, which gives me an income which enables me to be able to do this. You know, I'm not a full-time charity guy. You know, I, I um, you know, have to make money to be able to live. And ultimately, you know, Face provides that for me. And this gives me the opportunity to, you know, be able to run a 100% charity-based podcast of full production, which talks about anything mining. And uh, we're making it 100% charity-based. What, what, what I started to notice, and I, what I want to speak to out of school, was because I started to have guests on and, and, you know, you get a lot of keyboard warriors and I've got a large audience. They go, oh, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice by having this guy on. And I think to myself, you know, this is the problem. Brene Brown, I don't know if you've heard of Brene Brown on Netflix, lovely lady, talks about like um, living in the arena. And when you live in the arena and put yourself out there, you know, you've got this audience that can, you know, you know, you get knocked down and you get back up again. But it's about muting that audience. And what I've found is, you know, the charity component, it really mutes that audience because people, it doesn't matter who's come on or what they've done in the past or, you know, whatever, they, they get to get a voice out there for their own personal profile, their company profile, their operational profile. They get to attract people and they can do as many podcasts as they like and uh, it all goes to a good cause. So it sort of also mutes that real negative shit people in our industry that can, you know, make it a bit unattractive for someone wanting to have a voice or, or put their message out there. So ultimately, full production, you know, it, whether it's come a full circle, but for me, the more I reflect on the journey and I've been going for a year or so now and I've got a full team behind me, which I, I believe you've met, Rob, I'm, um, yeah, it's all about giving back to something that's given me so much and, and looking after the future of, you know, what's going to be around for a very long time. That's really cool. And I really love that. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, maybe pick one or two of those charities and just tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, I'll talk about um, Minus Promise. You know, all of them. I've got a few, you know, even a good one, Sam, um, you know, um, Grab Life by the Balls. Like, there's some really good, there's just some good people out there, you know. It's all about, I can't really just pick one, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to pick Minus Promise. Just just because I, I'm talking to the board regularly, they're really proactive and, uh, you know, they're, they're good people. And um, Minus Promise is a lady called Helen Fitzroy. She lost her husband, um, and I can't think of the year. I'm going to say 92, maybe even 87, in a mining accident. And she read a book, not just a number. And uh, I met her years ago. Just she, I was a, uh, had a, I'd done a consultancy show, Face, originally started off, and I met her on a, on a uh, shaft project. And, um, you know, I just really resonated a story about, you know, how, how brave she was to talk about, you know, Steve and his legacy and, uh, you know, losing him and, and you know, uh, not just a number, you know, you, you treat people like numbers, you'll get numbers, you treat people like humans, you'll get humans. And that's probably a big foundation of what face is built on today. But, you know, mine is promise. I, I unfortunately I had a friend, he, uh, he, he killed himself. Um, and it was actually, I wasn't even really friends of him that well, but I was really, I, was, I grew up with his wife. 
Um, and, um, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, shit, this is like a really bad situation. So, you know, and the only person I thought of was um, Fitzy and Helen Fitzroy and from Minus Promise, and I rang them, and, you know, they come in and helped her. And, um, you know, I've met some really good people that have come. You know, Helen's been on the podcast. And, Anyone gets a chance to listen to it. Uh, Sarah from Minus Promise. We've got a few more people from Minus Promise coming on board. Uh, Robina Haynes coming on shortly. She's read a book as well. Uh, she lost her husband about four years ago. So you know, and, and it's just they're just they're just such nice, giving people that care. You know, this is a real shit situation, and um, they're really keen to you know step up when times are really tough. And uh, you know, that really resonates with me about giving point of view. And I guess that's a whole other reason of the podcast too, you know, and hanging around organisations like this or having them involved is it's trying to give people the tool belts to be able to, you know, handle what our industry does to people's lifestyles. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a lady the other day and, and I said to her, I said, you know, how many divorces or, or suicide or depression or anxiety and all these topics were were relevant or, or rather large when when mining towns were residential, where everybody lived in the community and worked, you know, Monday to Friday, day shift, night shift, afternoon shift, had weekends off. And, you know, now we do this fly in, fly out stuff and the two weeks on, one week off or two weeks on, two weeks off. And, you know, it all sounds good and you do get a sense of community, but you also, you know, it might increase productivity, but really what's it do from a well-being point of view you know doing 12-hour night shifts and you know these sort of companies are, are willing to you know ask these questions and have these tough conversations to, to try and make us better you know I, i'm a big believer rob that um tough conversations are what make relationships and, and we've just got to put it out there yeah and i've always you know i always used to think about the day shift night shift thing like i used to work in coal mining for a few years and a few of the operators, I used to swim with one of them and it, he used to do, it was like three day shifts in a row and then, and then three night shifts in a row or two in a row. And it was like, I, I just never understood when he, when he would ever be able to sleep and like how much that would just disrupt everything in his life. Yeah. No, you're right. So um, I've got a guy coming on the podcast shortly. He's actually my um, personal coach. Um, his name's Carl Hewan. And, you know, we do a lot of stuff from, um, you know, sleep to diet uh, and, and different ways we can manage it. Because, you know, as a human, you know, being away on night shift is not necessarily um, a natural thing for us to do. And they suck. I don't know. I, I didn't like them that much anyway. And I've got two young kids now. So I'm back on the night shift train at the moment. But <laughs> that, you know, fatigue and sleep and um, diet and getting it right, you know, it's. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good topic to talk about. And, you, and you're right. I used to do uh, four days on, four days off, and then you do four nights on, then you have four off again. And that was okay. But, you know, when you've got that, you know, two-day shifts and then you do one 24-hour break and then you have another two-night shifts, you know, it's a quick turnaround. And, you, and you're, playing with your, um, you're playing with your body clock pretty heavily. And I'm sure there's a lot of repercussions of the course of it. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's dig a little bit into you. I, I want to come back to the perceptions of mining by society, but I want to talk a little bit about you first. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how'd you get your start in mining? Yeah, um, I, I, I don't. I come on podcasts regularly, so I get to say this a few times. But this is the first podcast I've been on in a little bit, so um, it's always really good to reflect. Rob, it's always good to have a look at your journey and, and appreciate what you've done. And I, I think people don't do enough of this. So if you're going to listen to this podcast, I encourage them right now to press pause and just have a stop and think about 
you know, their career and their life and, 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 and not say it as bad things, but say, right, they're really good learnings and now what can I do moving forward? Um, because it's, um, I'm very fortunate I get to reflect quite regularly. And I think a, a really good power or a, a really good uh, podcast that I liked about power of reflection is, you're not going to believe this, is Mike Tyson. Now, Mike Tyson's I've been on, on the Joe Rogan podcast. And when you mention the name Mike Tyson, you absolutely think the bloke's an animal. And then you hear him talk about his journey on the uh, on the podcast of Joe, and you start to realise the power of reflection and how people can change. So if you don't reflect, it's hard to make that change. That makes sense. So I'm, 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 it's a really good question to have, and I'm happy that I get to talk about it because it's it's, it's a really good tool for me personally to use as well. But my story: um, I grew up in a, in a small community called Cobar, New South Wales. Um, out near uh, Broken Hill Dubbo Way. So if you're on Google, um, Cobar, New South Wales, middle of nowhere, my friend. And um, <laughs> I, I grew up, well, it's sort of in two towns, Ningen and Cobar, which are about an hour and a half from each other. And Ningen's, a, Ningen's got one mine and, and Cobar's got a multiple mines and it's a farming area. And very, very going for a really bad drought at the moment. But yeah, dad was a kangaroo shooter. He also worked in the mines. Uh, Mum was a cleaner. I grew up with... Um, Six sisters, and I was the only boy. Um, you think I'd have some idea how females work, Rob? I have nothing. Um, they're very, very different. You know, men are men have got food, sex, and beer, and we're pretty much, you know, we've figured out they're our <laughs> um, Unfortunately, I haven't figured out the female um, female um, race as we speak. But uh, and then from there, I went through high school um, playing football. I was, I was probably half okay at playing football, which is rugby or rugby league, uh, predominantly. Um, and then I got because of that, um, the local mine, the local football club, lined me up a job in the mines. And you know, from there, I, I sort of probably never, I've never really earned anything less than seventy grand per year since the age of seventeen. And, and I, I, I'll tell you why that's not necessarily a good thing. So as I started to, and because I grew up such a large family, and, and probably not an abundance of finances and. And or even structure and how I grew up. Don't get me wrong, plenty of love. A lot of people grew up a lot worse, and uh, I was very fortunate to, um, you know, have the life I have. But I, um, you know, started to earn, you know, coming from nothing to then earning seventy grand per year. Developed a lot of social social issues around, uh, you know, socialisation and uh, drugs and alcohol and, and what was what was cool and what wasn't cool and all that sort of stuff. And you know, they were habits that actually filtered on and it took a long time to get over. Where some people just don't get over and they ended up just ticking themselves up to an eyeball and thinking it's always going to be a good time by buying the nice car and the nice ute and drinking all the time and all that sort of stuff. So um, ultimately, I, I sort of lived that typical mining lifestyle where you work your days on and you drink your days off and, you know, you're validated in certain ways by, you know, drinking, partying, uh, playing football or, or, or whatever. But as, as you get older, you evolve and, and um, you know, so I, I predominantly went to the, started in the mill and then I went underground metalliferous mining and predominantly I'm an underground metalliferous kid. Um, I did go to the Hunter Valley and cut two declines as well uh, in, in New South Wales and that, that's down to a coal seam and then I've done, done a bit of coal mining um, but then predominantly I ended up coming back to um, metalliferous mining and when I was uh, around the Newcastle Hunter Valley region I, I did a bit of extra study um, you know which gave me a few extra um 
qualifications under my belt to, you know, give me a bit of flexibility into, you know, what I could and could do on the work fronts. And then as I came back to hard rock metalliferous, it felt it really felt like it's um, it was home, you know, because that's the way I've grown up and I grew up in a mining community and all that sort of stuff. So as I come back to it, I um I was actually I was actually started off well this is how face got started was um you know it's funny everybody works in the mining industry so well, I think our parents worked in the mining industry so our kids didn't have to and I had a lot of I have a lot of mates <laughs> I work in the mining industry today because their parents did and, and set them up and sent them to the uni and all that sort of stuff and I obviously had a bit of a different foundation to them still really good mates to them like you know David Eddy Redback Solutions he you know he grew up you know, a block down from me on the same street. You know, we, we always every time we see each other or on Facebook, we put the old hashtag Burke, Burke Street Kids because, you know, he now runs uh, Redback Solutions, a multinational marketing company. It's awesome. And this kid grew up, you know, he's the same age as me, he's still one of my best mates. And to see him succeed so well out of the mining field makes me really happy, you know. Kempy's a property developer. You know, Brett Robbo is a, um, He's a well, Robbo's everything. Your life of impact podcast. He's a he's a health coach, you know. So some people have had some really interesting journeys that you know the foundation of mining has given them because they haven't gone down mining. And you know, there's a group of us like Carl Vereen and and Kempy. Well, Kempy's now a property developer, you know. And uh, um, you know, Maddie Armstrong. The list goes on of guys that have stayed in mining, and mining's given us a lot. Ray Ray Dolan, my best mate, he's still a uh, an awesome miner. So you know, there's still a lot of us in mining, but. You know, as we got involved into mining, I, everyone sort of wanted to get out. And um, I started to think, I said I had my wife at the time, or my, or my, or my girlfriend at the time, I sort of said, you know what, stuff mining, like I'm just over it, you know. And uh, I was nearly going to, I actually went and done a bit of work for a construction guy and a few things on my days off because I was working eight and six. And this is when I first started uh, Faces as a consultancy business. And uh, long story short, I... Um, I put a flyer out to become a, a, I think I was going to be a safety and training consultant because I said to the wife, I said, I said, and this is, you know, this is the thing, right? Miners are really money motivated and I was very money motivated back then too. And I sort of said, you know what? I could stay in mining if I was getting paid the money to do it. And, um, you know, sure enough, you know, to, to give myself that justification, I put a flyer out and um, I was, I, and I got a, I got a contract at the Shaft Project out of Cobar CSA. And, um, you know, it's from, it's from that sort of uh, opportunity that led into, you know, faith being what it is today. And I, I thought I was getting rewarded for what I was actually worth, if that made sense. And, um, um, yeah, that, that's ultimately how faith started. And from there, I uh, started off as a safety and training consultancy. And obviously, you got to, you know, when I started, and you can probably tell by talking to me, I've always been a pretty confident sort of guy. You know, I've always, and especially in that safety and training field, I, I wasn't a major fan of it because I come from an operational operating background that a lot of safety guys, I don't know how it's perceived in Canada, but like a safety guy walks into a room and people go, oh, here comes a dickhead. Like they come in like police. <laughs> you know? And um, I think the biggest thing that, the reason why I did so well in that field was because I, I come from an operating background where I'd go down and, and do practical stuff and they'd be like, what's this safety and training guy actually driving a truck for or, or throwing bolts for a jump operator or, or doing something different? So I was really relatable to the workforce and because of that, you know, I had a greater impact on being relatable to being able to make a difference. And then that's where I sometimes struggled with other safety people because uh, a lot of them were really unrelatable, if that made sense. 
Um, but from there, you know, I, I brought a pub, I brought a, a hotel, the Occidental Hotel, and uh, I started getting a few guys out on labour hire, um, which were, you know, service crews, shop creators. And then, yeah, eventually, um, you know, I stepped away from the safety and training consultancy field. Uh, I still do it, but I employ people to do it for me. I met some really good safety people along the way. And, um, and then predominantly, face just got legs to become face contracting then, and it just, you know, grew from there. Right? Yeah, and, and that's that's led me into today where, you know, we operate in, uh, you know, Western New South Wales, Cobo, which is my hometown still. Um, we operate in Western Australia. I, we have to do, do some operations. I'm actually based in New Zealand at the moment uh, where we do some work here in New Zealand in the mining construction field. So, yeah, it, it um, you know, it's come a long way. I think it's you know, nearly been 10 years. Like, I'm only... Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a you know the power of reflection makes me think I'm pretty lucky to be where I am, and I think I think the reason why I've got this far is because the why is pretty deep, Rob. You know, when the why is deep enough, the the how's not an issue, and um, I've done a lot of work on myself to ensure that whatever I do, that I don't have any resentment or regret, and I have plenty of fulfilment uh, in everything that I do. So, um, and ultimately now face, yeah, I've got some really good people around me. We've got some, you know, got some maintenance people coming on board, Joshua Douch. Now I get this podcast as well. That come along with the journey. I get to have an excuse to talk to people and pick their stories and, you know, get to come and meet guys like you and come on your podcast and tell my story. So, you know, uh, and that's probably, probably going to lead me to the next question of, you know, the mining perception, but ultimately, mate, that's my story. And now I got two beautiful little kids and uh i don't know if you got kids rob but they seem to change your mindset and change your game i don't i don't have kids yet but we'll see <laughs> yeah but they, they change it you know and it's funny how like you know i'm a th- i'm 34 years old now and i think how did a 24 year old peter finn think very different humans my friend so um you know the the power of reflections it's um pretty cool to sometimes you know tell this story and have a think about me why you know my journey that i've walked yeah, it is. It sounds really interesting. So let's let's dive into that. Like, what is the mining per, or perception of mining and, and how are you trying to change it? That's not a short answer, mate. Um, well, you know, you, you go to, you know, living in New Zealand at the moment, you know, mining, you know, they had a really bad accident here in, in, in uh, Pike River. They had, you know, killed like 30-something guys. It's, it's a shocking, shocking story. If you ever get a chance, Google the Pike, Pike River accident in um, New Zealand and um, you know that that's actually changed New Zealand's way and approach to to um, legislation around their whole work, work and safety well-being around you know all work fronts but ultimately you know mining you know you mentioned mining and you know what's some of the first things that come to people's head it's uh, money motivated and environmental wrecking machines is, is that sort of something that comes to your mind Rob when you mention mining I'm not necessarily sure about the money motivated, but definitely the environmental part. We we definitely have that here. I mean, in Alberta, I guess I guess money motivated is part of it. We're big in oil and gas here, so that's also mo- money motivated as well. Yeah, well, because ultimately, what happens is is um, you know you even say environmental. So look, just look at uh, Vale. Vale had that tails dam slip in Brazil. Do you remember that about two years ago? Yes, sir. And do you know, remember how many people it killed? No. How many did it kill? Yeah, I think it was like near 250. And don't oh. quote me, I think it was right up there. And you think about it, that only made the papers for a couple of weeks, you know, in, in the scale of how big it was. But because Vale have made this decision of being, um, you know, trying to chase production and it's had a tails dance, which has had catastrophic outcomes, 
Do you think that just looks bad on Vale or do you think that looks bad on the whole mining industry? Well, it's everybody. There you go. So all of a sudden, you know, because of someone else's actions, it reflects badly on all of us, you know, and, and you want to flip it around to say, righto, yeah, there's been some really bad decisions made in mining and unfortunately we only talk about the bad things. We don't talk about the good things. Um, and then you start talking about, you know, what mining gives. You know, I, I live in New Zealand, which is very uh, environmental-based com- uh, country and, you know, Usually it starts off as a friendly barbecue where they're all like, oh, you're in the mining. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. And then all of a sudden they get a few beers and they get a bit more inquisitive and they get their political hat on, you know. And they think, oh, you know, rah, rah. I say, well, look, put it this way. Uh, put your phone down because there's a good chance that every every product that's made in your phone is from mining. Gold. <laughs> I said, when you get home, don't turn your lights on because it's made out of copper. That's from mining too. All the power that powers it, which is coal. And then, I, and then you sort of paint the picture that, you know, mining is in our everyday life. It's, in, it, it's, it's essential. And then I sort of say, right, not only is it essential, that these, these operations from a mining point of view also give people a lifestyle. They give people a community. They give people a sense of belonging. You know, you go to anywhere, you know, Fort McMurray, um, you know, Kalgoorlie, wherever you go, the Cobar region, these mines with five people's lifestyles, livelihoods. And there's so much more to the picture that makes sense. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, and then, and then they get to meet the people because, you know, they get to meet people like yourself and other people they've had on the podcast and, and, and try and change that perception of actually people in the mining actually do care, you know, about, you know, uh, and we're trying to change it now, you know, I so said female mining push and having a guy that comes from a family of six sisters, you know, the female push in mining is awesome because we need, you know, we all know what it's like when, you know, I've been to meetings and you see these two men with full of testosterone start pointing fingers at each other, but then a female walks in the room and it goes dead quiet. <laughs> and, you know, it's amazing what mask, you know, people put on uh, during, you know, operational, you know, meetings or in different environments, you know, and, uh, you know, when a lady's around, people put a certain mask on and I think females, you know, they bring a different dimension of, um, you know, skill sets between the real yin and yang and I, I think they add a fair bit of value. You know, I know some female um, operators that are just absolutely awesome can, you know, don't wreck the machine nice and clean, nice and tidy, you know, and you know, jump into a, a man's, you know, machine that's just got out of it and, uh, you know, there's rubbish everywhere, they haven't washed it, they've probably, you know, dinged it against the wall somewhere. So, you know, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of topics we could talk about, you know, mining and changing the perception of it. And, you know, the big reason why I want to do it and my own personal motivators is because, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm 34. You know, what am I going to be talking about and what am I going to be dealing with when I'm 64 or 74 or 84? You know, and we're going to evolve. And, um, you know, humans are changing too, so we need to make our industry more attractive. You know, it's gone from being money motivated and you go look at Deloitte's. Deloitte's done a, I think it's, you can go Google it, Deloitte's done a 2019 millennial Xenia report. You know, kids are changing. People that are coming through the generations are changing. You know, innovation's changing we, and we need to embrace it. You know, I, I spoke to, I done a keynote speak a little while ago to some tradesmen. There's about 20 of them and I said to them, you know, in this keynote speaker, I said, oh, you know, kids today, let's, let's talk about what's wrong with kids today. And literally, man, they, they sat there for like 10 minutes just bagging kids out on their phone, unresilient, useless, rah, 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 you know. And I, I sort of said, right, okay, cool. I said, now, let's flip this. What do you think the, the tradesman said about you when you were an apprentice? <laughs> and then you see their face. And I said, so I'm trying to explain to them that it's not – it's not um, uh, them that's got to relate to us. It's us that's got to relate to them. So 
mate, to, to be truthful, that topic, you know, pick, you know, pick a topic, you know, in regards to, you know, tr- us trying to, you know, be better and, and trying to give ourselves the toolkit to be able to handle everything from, you know, relationship well-being, you know, or, you know, technically in life, you know, if you haven't got your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, you got nothing. And the only thing you take out of life is the relationships you have in it. That's it. You talk about all the money and all the success you had on a business front or whatever, but the reality of it is they're the key things that you'll take out of life. And you won't sit on bed. You won't sit on your deathbed and think about how much money you've made. You'll think about, uh, you know, the relationships you have. Oh, I met this minute time I met that Canadian guy, Rob. You know, like you only think about the relationships and the people you've met along the journey. And it's really important to remember that. And you know, Rob, being a, a practical person, you know how you got. You know, have you ever earned less money but enjoyed your work more? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, it's not it's not what you do; it's who you do it with and who you do it for. And when you when you're when you're in alignment with that, yeah, it's it's all about alignment, really, internally. But people are always looking externally for the cars, the motorbikes, the you know whatever they're into, and um, that's never going to give you happiness because you just kind of keep on looking. You're looking all in the wrong areas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, just just talking about this show, like I don't make any money off this show, and I I love doing it. I really love talking to people like you as well, and it's it's great. And I guess you know, obviously, this is a maintenance and reliability podcast, so I do have to ask you at least one question about maintenance and reliability. So you're coming from a little bit of an operations background and then also a safety background. What have you seen in terms of good reliability practices or bad reliability practices? Like what stuck out at you over your career? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's funny that you bring up maintenance. So I, 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 uh, I mentioned a guy earlier in the podcast called Joshua Douch from Voltake. So me and him are about to become business partners. So Josh is a diesel mechanic turned uh, auto electrician. Uh, my best mate, Jay Robbo, he's over in Canada. He's uh, Oztech Industries, uh, uh, runs a lot of uh, Red Seal mechanics. And then also we've um, we've Josh coming on board. Uh, we're about to start face maintenance services. And I've also got some really good mates, um, uh, QMRC, uh, Damien McDonald, who's come on the podcast. And, and these guys do a lot of machinery rebuild. So um, my dad's been an electrician and, and growing up around this mechanical field. I, I, I probably kicked myself that I never did do a, a, a trade in full. Obviously, I have done education, but I've never done a trade. Um, but, you know, you, you want to talk about the maintenance stuff. And, you know, we've talked about um, Gerard Wood, who's come on your podcast, and, and a good friend of mine. I'm actually going to see him next next couple of weeks in Brisbane. And he wrote that book called Simplifying Mining Maintenance. And, you know, the key word there is simplifying. Let's just keep this shit basic. Let's keep the workshop, let's keep the workshop clean. You know, we, we're all talking about innovation and technology and all this other stuff, like – you know, and I tell you what, you know, technology is changing, so we've got to evolve with it. But I, I personally believe, you know, sometimes, um, you know, OEMs and, and um, even, even you know, mechanical people can, can recreate the wheel when it doesn't need to be created when it's all about keeping things really simple. That's one thing I took home from, from Gerard was keeping things really simple. And a lot of the tradesmen people that I know um, is that, you know, is going, well, let's get it back to the, the basic foundations of what's going to make us more productive by having more reliable machinery and what are we doing to improve it. And I think the data collection is becoming a big thing now. Like I even see, you know, CAT, uh, you know, are trying to, you know, consolidate all their data samples from oil from all over the world. 
and start to give like real life trends of you know what machinery is doing it and, and you know we're getting to a point where even components now if you're that good at collecting data, you can even tell roughly when components are going to go or when's a good time to change it out to prevent a breakdown. You know, even a lot of stationary fixed plant machinery. And you can literally now track it and go, okay, these rollers at this speed of the conveyor belt over this period of time are only going to last three hundred, you know, 30,000 hours. So we know at 25,000, it's worth stopping to change them out. Save us having a, a, an unexpected breakdown on a night shift, which is going to cost us 12 hours. So, you know, and then, and then we're putting it back on the manufacturers or the OEMs and saying, hey, this is the trend we're picking up with your rollers. You know, what are you going to do differently? To, because we know when we, when we trial these other rollers from XYZ as a company, that they can go 40,000 consistently. So, you know, we're getting back to that quality side. Uh, and, you know, sometimes in, in maintenance in particular, and I was talking to QMRC guys about it, that, you know, sure, you can go for the cheapest company that's going to rebuild your machine, but that's necessarily not going to be the best option. Cheapest is never the best. So, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, keeping it basic and having that open, transparent relationship and, and, and doing the simple things right. That's, that's me personally. Um, I don't know whether that resonates with your audience, mate, or even you personally. No, I think it does. And I, I think that like a lot of what we talk about on this show, like we have experts that are coming on that are, you know, get into the nuts and bolts of predictive maintenance or, or RCM or root cause analysis. But a lot of there's kind of two aspects, right? So there's the AI people who are doing the cutting edge technology. But a lot of what they come on and talk about is getting back to the shop floor and really interacting with the maintenance guys and the operators to get because if you, you sit in your office and you do reliability, like it's all fun and good, but you didn't change anything until you change the way the guy drives the truck or you change the way the guy, uh, you know, does his PM, right? Mate, you, you bang on. So, um, you know, I, I, you're right. It's still, you know, it's sort of like it's funny. You know, I talked to these kids today. You still need people to dig the hole. You know, it's all good and well to sit behind the screen and do all the planning and stuff and do all the pricing, but you still need someone to physically fit that tire, fix that shaft, you know, rebuild that, realign something, whatever. You still need that physical aspect. And then all of a sudden, like you just said, if you've got really good data collection, you then got to be able to put that into a relatable format for the operator or uh, the automation or whatever to get it right, um, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, it's funny. The one thing that we're doing, me and Josh and a, and a, and a company called Cryronics, and, mate, by all means, take these notes down, Rob, and I'll, and I'll make an introduction to you. Cryronics, Daniel Milford, uh, he's been on the podcast, super smart guy. We're actually just starting to use uh, Google Glass on some machinery. So, oh, you know, you know, we've got Google Glass that have been able to give us live feeds of sensors that are running around the machine or even be able to bring up manuals of, you know, schematic systems on certain machinery live on your glasses or even, you know, doing a pre-start with purely just the glasses on walking around and saying, okay, glass, uh, walk around inspection or loader XYZ and literally it will record its walk and literally capturing all that data uh, live from a, a set of glasses. So, yeah, mate, you know, there's a, I'm sure I haven't listened to many of your podcasts, Rob, to be honest, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff. But this is the, this is the problem, right? We all need to get back down to basic foundations and practical, practicality of implementation because it's all good and well to live in Star Wars, Star Wars but you actually still need to be able to implement it to a, um, 
a practical point of view where it's actually going to make difference to the work front. I love it. I love it. And I would absolutely love to talk about that on the show. So definitely make that introduction. Now, I guess my last question for you, and I, I really love, I kind of love asking this question. And it's funny because we just sort of talked about it is Ever since I, I worked in mining, I used to joke that there was no real innovation in mining because everything was just, well, we built a bigger truck. Well, we built, we had a bigger shovel so we could scoop more. And like, where do you think or where do you see mining going in the next five to 10 years? It's a good question, mate. Like, you know, I'd love to sit here and talk about innovation and automation and all that sort of cool stuff. But you know, we're going to need a lot of people. I think I read an article the other day, we're going to need 20,000 plus for the next four to five years in Australia alone, um, you know, from everything from skilled tradesmen to operators and, and whatever else. And I'm not even too sure. I said, oh, I've said to you and then I'm coming over to Canada and America in, in next year for a tour. Um, where do I see it? Look, I... I I see it in some really good. I, I, you know, I can, I can be, I can be. I wear two sides of the hat here. I can talk about the negative shit, but the reality of it is, I want to talk about the positive stuff. And you know, for me personally, where, where do I see it from innovation or innovation point of view? Yeah, mate, you need to go follow an organisation called Ozmine. You know, some of their um, I can, I can make an introduction to you as well. Ozmine are awesome. Christine's been on the podcast, the the CEO of Ozmine, Brendan Rouse, one of the directors, and they are Pi Bar Mining Services, huge, huge company that have come from really humble foundations. And uh, you know, the innovation side for mining, like we used to talk about Google Glass, like yeah, it's just incredible. Some of the people that I'm meeting, but I, I you know, through the podcast and and guys like yourself, it's you know. I'm looking forward to watching people implement innovation into the mining industry because it takes time to change. You know, you can't come in and just change something. And we all know it takes time. You know, you're talking to operators and you go, oh, this is what we're going to do now. And they're going, oh, we haven't done that in 20 years. And that's the problem, <laughs> right? Like, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So um, it's a real big shift from a mindset point of view coming along. And, and then that's just from an automation operational point of view, let alone the new people that are bringing a different, you know, this is what these millennials and zennials, and I talked about the Deloitte report earlier, this is what they're bringing to the table. They're bringing something different to the table. They're bringing a different line of thought. They want they want different reasons to why they want to come to work. So I'm really keen to watch our industry evolve over time as that happens. Um, but not only that, obviously, you know, I really want to be part of that journey of making our industry you know, attractive role. You know, I want to make, you know, heavy industry, mining industry in particular, really attractive for young people and kids to inspire to come work in because it gives so much and, and it's really enjoyable and fun. Um, but, you know, on the flip side of that too, mate, you know, we, we've got a lot of issues, you know. We've got a lot of issues around, you know, suicide, depression, divorces, financial support. You know, how can we earn so much money but yet, you know, go through so many divorces and, and, and be bankrupt and not have the house we want and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do around uh, education to what's really important. You know, we're sometimes being a blue-collar uh, demographic, Sometimes we aren't the most educated um, around these topics, and I, you know, firsthand, personally, I talked about my own journey. I had a lot of issues in my life. Like, you know, it took me a good till I was like 27 to sort my shit out, 
And um, I was very fortunate that, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I was very fortunate. I had some really good friends that, you know, and, and people in my life that, that guided me on the right track. And, you know, I've got some friends that haven't took taken the right track and they're still friends today and they're still struggling and, and it hurts to see. So, you know, um, but in saying that, at least we're having these conversations. We've got the podcast platform where, you know, um, you know, I've got faith, so I've got a bit of credibility to be able to create these environments that bring the best out of people and the best out of our industry. So, yeah, look, I'm personally, I'm really excited and a lot of a lot, a lot of fronts to, um, you know, look forward to the future, my friend. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, and yeah, I mean, I think I think for me at least, like, I'm 31 now. I, I still think I'm figuring out life and I don't think it ever really ends. Like I think we just, we learn a bit more every day and we, we come a bit further and hopefully we take some lessons away and we get better every day. So I, I'm hoping that, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go, mate. <laughs> this is the, the Canadian standoff. <laughs> no, um, I just, yeah, just saying, like, I hope we get better every day. And and I think going into the future, like we've seen, I've talked to a bunch of, you know, artificial intelligence experts on this show, and the technology is getting better. And I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity that's coming, not only in mining, but in any industry is just, it's just a matter of seizing it. Mate, even even the cross pollination, you know, guys like me and you need to talk more because some of the stuff that you guys are doing and some of the stuff that we can doing are so relatable. You know, let's start recreating the wheel between defence force, oil and gas, mining, uh, construction. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of cross pollinations we can inherit. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Peter, before we get you out of here. One more time, do you have any plugs that you're, are you going to go to any conferences? Obviously, they should check out the podcast full production. They should check out your website, facecontracting.com.au. Is there anywhere you're going to be? Is there anywhere they should follow you? Mate, um, yeah, look, yeah, it's a good point, mate. You know, events, um, I'd probably say stay tuned to the full production podcast and that's like obviously www.fullproduction.com.au but um me and carl hewan who i mentioned before i'll talk about the tool belt and just starting to you know uh, break down you know give give our demographic from uh, heavy industry mining industry oil and gas a, a bit of a, a life coaching platform where, where it's okay to you know start working on your diet and start working on your sleep start working on your academic career to maybe make changes and i'm not trying to uh, make our industry unattractive i just want to make people have the tools to figure out what they really want and not that they feel trapped so i'm really keen to launch some of that stuff from a, from a personal point of view um, with full production and you know trying to make a difference moving forward i'm very fortunate that i've got an awesome team around me with steph and uh reagan and, and you know uh, with a face point of view um dave but you know um you know, to really nut it down, I personally just want everybody to, you know, take time to, um, you know, enjoy life. You know, you know, sometimes, sometimes our industries are, are really serious, and uh, I think it's sometimes good to have a laugh. You know, we all like that. You know, that guy that goes to work and has a laugh, uh, and he always like that. He makes the environment. I'm pretty keen to have more people that make the environment. And, and you know, if there's a grumpy old shit person there, is not let the shit people affect how you feel. That's the that's the real art, Rob. Um, but to, to really interact and follow me personally, uh, I've actually got a full production Facebook group. 
So if you come and join the full production Facebook group, I actually get in there myself personally and do Facebook lives and interact in a few things, mate. That's usually the, the best way to interact with Peter Finn personally. But, you know, there's LinkedIn, there's Facebook, there's a full production website, there's the face contracting website. Um, yeah, take your pick, mate. I'm, I'm pretty much all over the World Wide Web, my friend. <laughs> no, it's great to hear. No, Peter, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. We'll definitely have to have you back on. This was a really fun one. Good, mate. Good to know. I, I look forward to returning to serve, mate, and getting you on full production. Uh, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, time's not my friend. Usually I'm, I'm pretty busy, but I look forward to getting you on uh, full production, and I'm more than happy to come on again, mate. Uh, if I'm adding any value to your audience and happy to shape the conversation in, in a lot of different ways, mate, because there's uh, plenty to talk about, mate, and I'm happy to hear that I'm adding value. And I, I couldn't be more appreciative of you, you know, one, inviting me on, but two, doing what you're doing, because, you know, we, not, we need, like, I don't never see anybody as a competitor in, in our in your industry. Like I think the more podcasts we got, the more people we have talking about our industry and our demographic, the better because we need to get the message out there. Whether you follow me or another podcast, I don't care. As long as you're as long as you're involved learning and enjoying the conversations, um, that's where it's at. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more and I'm absolutely would love to be on your podcast as well. And you know, I, I love the message that you're sending and I love the charities that you're donating to. I love that. That's a great that's a great thing. And I should do something if I ever get income coming in on this podcast. I'll probably have to shoot some money over to to some of your charities. Mate, yeah, I think, um, you know, well, you know what it's like. You know, you, you walk an old lady across the road. You can't put a price on that because it feels good. You know, we all chase fulfillment. And, um, you know, you know, so the more you give is the more you get. I'm pretty sure you've heard of a guy called Steve Irwin, uh, the crocodile hunter, and unfortunately Steve's passed away now. But he, um, you know, he talks about money and he goes, money, it's, I can't get enough of it because the more money I get is the more more land I can buy and the more animals I can save. And uh, I feel like I can really resonate with that because I'm no different. Money's good. I want to get more money. I want to make more money. I want face to be bigger and better because the more I can get is, is the more I can do and the more I can give. And the more you give is the more you get, mate. That's what it's all about, chasing that uh, fulfilling feeling. Love it, love it, love it. Now, Peter, I appreciate you coming on. Um, everyone who's still listening, I, I appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're on that podcast platform, subscribe to the full production podcast as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.